This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by one of the most person who does some of the most interesting studies with physicians, on physicians, about physicians, about cognitive impairment of physicians. Uh, fasting work. We're with Dr. Kirk Daphner. Dr. Daphner is the chief of the Division of Cognitive and Behavioral Neurology Director at the Center for Brain and Mind Medicine uh, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Massachusetts. Uh, Dr. Daphner, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Scott, thank you uh, for having me today. As you mentioned, I'm uh, uh, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. I'm a cognitive neurologist. Um, I'm also the Wimberley Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School. Um, and I spend a lot of time assessing um, patients who have a variety of cognitive disorders and dementia and do um, research on um, related topics. So fascinating. And I understand that one of the areas that you look at and work on is looking at as physicians age and more physicians practice into their later years, is trying to sort of handle how do you deal with physicians that, you know, trying to figure out whether they're cognitively impaired themselves so they can continue to practice at the level they should practice at, what's safe, not what's not safe, and so on and so forth. Talk to us a little bit about that field of work and, and some of the things that you see. Sure. Happy to do so. Um, first, just in terms of the scope of the issue, physician workforce is getting older. Um, that, you know, the number of physicians 65 and over uh, quadrupled between the mid-70s and uh, today. There are now close to a quarter of a million physicians 65 and older who are uh, in the workforce. That's about 25% of us. Um, and 40% of them uh, still see patients. So that's about 95,000 doctors. Um, so there are a lot of great things about um, an aging workforce in the sense that older physicians um, have a lot of accumulated knowledge and experience. They have clinical wisdom um, and uh, they're a way to deal with doctor shortages. But the um, issue that we have focused on is that Age is the biggest risk factor for cognitive impairment and dementia. And um, a, f a reasonable and important number of physicians uh, who are practicing are likely to be impaired. And my colleagues and I are trying to sort out what options institutions and individuals have uh, to deal with these risks. Um, the article, <laughs> sorry, go on. No, take a moment on that because you, 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 you touch on a number of different interesting issues. One, almost a quarter of all physicians are 65 or older. Two, we're facing horrible shortages of physicians. So we want people in the workforce as long as they can be, as long as they're capable of being so. And three, probably as much as anything, these are incredibly sensitive issues yeah. with the physicians. Can you take a moment on that sensitivity to this? Because it, 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 some physicians recognize they've got cognitive impairment and need to figure out what they can and can't do. Yes. Many of yeah. them, I assume, don't agree that they have cognitive impairment or it's the other people notice it before they want to admit it. They might notice they slow down remembering names and some other things, which many of us do as we age, Sure. but we're not sure exactly what that line is of cognitive impairment. And how right. difficult a situation is this for a leader of a health system to talk to the physician about? 
I think it's very challenging for all of us because um, physicians very much highly value their cognitive abilities, and it is an extraordinarily painful and challenging topic uh, to consider um, the erosion of these capacities. Um, people who actually have brain-based uh, cognitive problems often uh, lack insight into them, so they certainly may not be aware of it, and others may be loath to um, um, report them because of the systems that we're in. Um, I think that there are a number of um, approaches that institutions can take, and I think that if um, uh, institutions, hospitals, hospital, medical, medic, medic, medical systems are uh, thoughtful and sensitive and um, apply these systems across the board, it is um, possible to be both fair to physicians um, as well as being sensitive to um, the risks that patients face if they're cared for by physicians who are um, unable to do so in a safe, competent manner. And talk about how, what is the program for addressing this? How, how do you go about addressing this? Sure. Um, so uh, recently, my colleagues and I, Drs. Debbie Gittleman uh, and uh, Press, wrote um, an article in uh, one of the American Academy of Neurology journals that specifically addressed what choices uh, uh, institutions face. And we highlighted basically nine strategies of which we chose one that we thought was most um, appropriate. And in brief, uh, the choices include um, a reactive approach, which is what we currently do, um, depending on the reporting by peers, depending on uh, physician self-assessment and re self-report. There are institutional kinds of programs like board recertification and maintenance of certification programs. There is the credentialing process and peer recommendations. There are there's a possibility of age-mandated uh, cognitive assessments or extensive kinds of evaluations and direct observation. There is mandatory retirement age, and uh, the one that we highlighted as being the most favorable among ones that have challenges would be an age-based cognitive screening evaluation for physicians who reach a certain age to ensure that um, we identify people who are at highest risk for uh, practicing medicine uh, below um, the standard that we would be comfortable. Again, and, and what's your thought on, let me, let me ask you a question though. What is the age at which there should be mandatory screening? What is the age at which mandatory retirement? Do you have sure. directions um, on those ages? The um, risk of cognitive impairment um, it goes up with um, every year that we live. Um, and um, we do not recommend a mandatory retirement age because the other fact is that as we all get older, the um, variability in cognitive capacity and performance actually gets wider and wider. So there are definitely individuals who are well over the age of 65 who are performing as well as their um, 40 or 45 year old counterparts. And it would be profoundly unfair to them to um, deny them their right to practice medicine, and it would deprive systems of really very competent, wise um, uh, physicians and clinicians. So 
that is an option. And actually, as you know, it's uh, something that we see with um, uh, pilots over the age of now 65 and uh, many state but not federal judges. Um, I think in terms of when to consider uh, these kinds of assessments, it's arbitrary. Um, uh, I think that over the age of 65, the risk of developing impairment and dementia goes up. And so one could certainly argue to begin um, a program of screening at 65 um, and follow people depending on how they do over time repeatedly, having the advantage of knowing how they did in previous tests to compare to also serve as a um, guide post to how they're doing now. I can tell you that there have been a number of institutions, medical systems around the country that have um, begun to do these kinds of um, screens and most have chosen age 70, um, which may be a little bit more palatable to individuals than age 65, but we're talking somewhere in that vicinity, 65, 70. And, 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 and are there things that people can do to slow down their cognitive impairment? Are there things they could do, or is this just so genetically wired that there's little one could do to impact this? Um, genetics certainly plays an important role in um, all sorts of health and illness, um, and age um, is, is a major factor in terms of wear and tear and the risk of developing um, a whole host of things that can affect brain function. However, um, there is absolutely uh, things that people can do, ideally starting in middle or even earlier, middle age and earlier. Um, this is actually another area of uh, considerable interest to me and my colleagues and who have done research on this. But um, it's been estimated based on large-scale epidemiological studies that upwards of a third of the risk for developing dementia is due to uh, modifiable factors. So um, there's evidence to support the um, value of physical activity, cognitively stimulating activities, social engagement, eating um, heart-healthy um, diets, managing cardiovascular risk factors, especially hypertension, um, maintaining adequate sleep, uh, making sure we manage hearing and um, uh, visual and other sensory losses, being mindful of um, the effects of over-the-counter and uh, prescribed medications and their side effects, limiting alcohol, and protecting our brains from being banged up or damaged either by drugs or traumatic brain injury. So we are not helpless. Um, we have limited control, of course, in life, but um, there are definitely things that we can do um, that is, are very likely to substantially reduce our risk but as physicians or as people um, of experiencing cognitive deterioration and dementia. Let me ask you a question. Please. My son over the last couple of years absolutely destroys me in chess. Should I view this as a sign of early dementia or cognitive impairment, or should I view it as just he's getting better and I'm getting worse? Well, I, um, it sounds unlikely that this is a, a marker of dementia. Um, and uh, congratulations to your son. There's um, probably uh, some ambivalence about beating his father. Um, there are certain uh, um, relatively predictable changes that are associated with what we would call normal cognitive aging. Things like um, 
there is slowing of the speed of processing. There is um, slowing of retrieval of information that's well stored. There are um, uh, there's some uh, deterioration in what's called executive functions, the ability to hold information online and shift sets and inhibit um, uh, certain kinds of responses. There are visual changes and, and um, changes in dexterity um, and the like. But all of these things, and what you're probably saying is that your son um, is able to um, hold more potential moves in his head at one time and manipulate them faster than you can and faster than probably you could do a decade or two ago. But normal age-related changes, um, uh, although annoying for many of us, do not prevent us from having uh, productive, active, and very meaningful uh, lives. So no, I don't think that this is a sign of dementia. Uh, but, but, but let me I ask you a question. He doesn't feel ambivalent at all about beating me. He seems quite happy about it. Is there something wrong with his empathy skills? Ah, good question. I don't know your son. I would say that um, it is both a joy to uh, be able to beat our um, parents uh, from time to time, but also um, there's some mixed feelings. I can tell you uh, my brother um, played tennis against my mother for years and finally beat her when she was probably a ripe old age of 13. He was so excited, excitement. He jumped, ran and jumped over the net like he saw done on television, tripped and broke his ribs. So we have to be careful about hubris. <laughs> exactly. It's fantastic. That's why and, and chess about... is a lot safer than tennis, I guess. To, uh, yeah, no, he, it's more likely I'll throw a chess piece at him ah, than have point. him jump over the chessboard. But no, he's beating me consistently now for a few years since he was in 16. He's almost 20. And now I can't even like I can't even play with him anymore because it's not fun. Cause I just uh, always lose. But you it is what it is. to have wisdom um, based on your years of experience and ability to see patterns in ways that he is. Um, you can only dream of at least for now. My my wisdom is choosing not to play against him too often. It's ah, not good for my ego. Yeah, Doctor Daphner, another question: What are you most excited about and most focused on this year? I mean, you've got this brilliant, brilliant career, uh, Harvard Medical School, Brigham Women's Health, Health, magnificent career, leader of one of the most fascinating areas that you know all of us as we age are more and more focused on. At least we should be on our physical and, and mental health. It takes a lot more sure. work as we get older to keep those things where they should be. You've got this fascinating career. What are you most excited about? What are your big priorities this year? Where, where are you most focused? Well, uh, I kind of uh, preface this um, a few minutes ago. Um, I am really keen on understanding um, what um, people can do that's within their power to reduce their risk of cognitive decline and dementia. Um, I probably have become more interested in that uh, over time, not only because I'm getting older, but because during my day job where I'm taking care of patients, I'm witnessing um, their struggles with um, a reduction in their cognitive capacity and their struggles with dementia. So um, I've been um, and continue to look at uh, the differences between what might be considered successful cognitive aging and uh, normal cognitive aging. Uh, most recently, colleagues of mine and I have been trying to uh, design potential interventions that can encourage or support individuals um, to make lifestyle changes and um, adopt behaviors that are healthy to their brain, 
and uh, often they're also healthy to their for their hearts. So um, at this point, we as a medical community uh, have a growing consensus about what our patients, including us, should do to remain healthy. But we have been really very poor um, at finding ways to actually get patients to do things that are um, in their interest and will support their well-being and health as they grow older. So that has become a growing interest of mine, and it is animating a lot of what I do in terms of um, work outside of patient care. But you're, I mean, just truly magnificent work. And you mentioned earlier that that was so interesting about how we're physicians who have used the brains for their own success, for their their esteem right. comes from them being physicians, their brain is so important to success, to their esteem, their position in the community, everything. I mean, some of which were great athletes, many of which were not, but their brain is what they stood out for. Right. And so seeing the brain decline, it could be very hard emotionally, can't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I, although the, the piece that uh, we wrote in the um, neurology clinical practice had to do with what institutions, what institutional choices there are to deal with this issue, I've also written about and really have thought a lot about what we as individuals can do in terms of personal choices. I had an article in the uh, Washington Post a couple of years ago um, and offered up the value of developing uh, what I called an occupational living will, which is basically developing advanced directives for one's professional life. And the idea behind that is to be very mindful when we have cognitive capacity still, um, what changes um, in our abilities would um, um, elicit a response in us to either investigate further whether we still are able to practice safely or would be intolerable to us um, from our, when we are most able um, and thinking about it, that we would really want to either um, retire or um, change the nature of our practice so that we continue to be active and engaged in a way that is as safe as possible. So I, I think it's really important and not pleasant However, it's a, it's a fascinating discussion and economics play into it as well, because you get you get absolutely. plenty of people that have not that enjoy making a living, enjoy making money or haven't saved that much or a million different reasons. Absolutely. That they, they, they will live with a little bit of cognitive impairment thinking they're doing fine because they're very intent. I continue to be able to support their family and provide or help help their kids or whatever it might be. So you get a whole bunch of mixed motives that go into this as well. Um I can, whether wealthy or not wealthy, because because everybody prefers to make money versus not generally, and to be able to support themselves yeah. and others. I think that um, one could envision a system that uh, provides um, some ongoing support for these transitions, so that the um, pain of um, reduction of income is less uh, severe, and that encourages people at least to take seriously their own. Um, perhaps growing limitations, and do so in a way that is as responsible as possible. So I, I think that we, as a community, can sort of set up guardrails and structures that really encourage people um, or increase the likelihood that they do the right thing by making some of these, um, some of the consequences of the decisions less um, burdensome, at least financially. No, no, 100%. And we, and we all know, we're all students of this. The thing about being in 
consumers of healthcare being people yes. is we all know that our bodies and minds slow at different degrees, different stages. Like I'm in my mid fifties. I know that I can't do as a young lawyer, what I did as a young lawyer in terms of the speed and, you know, ability to concentrate and focus like I did in my thirties and energy. Just, we all see it. And it's, and it's, it's a fascinating observation. And it's a matter of when that observation becomes so clear that you have to make changes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that um, as we get older, um, we can become wiser in terms of um, adaptations. There's a notion in um, aging research that uh, the advantage of uh, selective optimization and compensation. So that as we get older, we're wise to select more carefully to choose the most important goals and activities to really optimize what we're doing to focus on uh, what might be thought of as our five easy pieces and to compensate, to really activate or develop new strategies that allow us to um, continue to do really high quality work, but perhaps in a way that's different than we did when we were younger. And I think this can uh, sustain us. And again, it's a matter of being really mindful about this and accepting or being aware of some of our growing limitations and adopting uh, workarounds for as long as um, it's feasible and we feel comfortable uh, doing them. Uh, this is useful not only for physicians, but for all of us getting older. Yeah, no, I think just brilliant advice, quite frankly, Dr. Gaffner. Uh, you know, I had a chance to visit with Dr. Mike Roizen early this year, who's the author of the set of books called Real Age and Aging, and you know, how you assess what age really are and so forth. Yes. And, and, and I assume you quite familiar because you really talk about overlapping concepts and trends and just brilliant. And, yes. and, and two of the most interesting people I've had a chance to talk to this year are yourself and him and, and just fascinating the field of study that you work in, you know, you, both in the cognitive impairment of physicians, but just generally the cognitive issues and aging and behaviors and so forth. Dr. Daphne, I want to thank you for joining us today. Just brilliant. Uh, I thank really you so much for your joining time and your kindness. And good luck with the chess game if you decide to continue to play with your son, which is probably well, good I'll for your brain. I'll continue to play. I, you know, I was a, I was a, I was a wrestler. I did other things, and now he yeah. beats me in all these things, and it's increasingly challenging. But it just is what it is. It's part uh, of aging, and life goes on. It is what it is. I, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I hope you have a. But wonderful it's fun day. to watch him grow up and do as well as he's doing. Him and my daughter. So it is what it is. Just you sort I of take the good with the bad. Absolutely. Dr. Daffner, fantastic. Thank you very, very much. You're very welcome. Be well.